Well, hello and welcome again to another uh, encounter study. Today will be the 10th lesson of our fall quarter, and it will be from 1 Kings 19, God Speaks to Elijah, and that's going to be for November 7th, 2021. Our prayer for illumination today. Oh God, you know us better than we know ourselves. As the scriptures are read, we listen for your voice. By your Spirit, lead us out of our fears and into the knowledge of your love, through Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of our souls. Amen. And that's from valleyprezct.org. Um, and so the scripture selection is uh, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18, and then John 12, 27 through 28, with our memory verse being uh, 1 Kings 19, 12 and 13, which reads, And after the earthquake of fire... But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Alright, so far as introductions. Um, let me keep this here. Uh, Derek has us looking at the uh, Bible Project video about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I would encourage you to, you know, if you can't show it in your class, at least uh, watch it, glean from it, explain to your students what, what's in there, because they're good resources. I've had a lot of people uh, email me or contact me in some way and say they've really enjoyed uh, exploring the different video projects the Bible Project does. And they do a good work there. Um but also, Derek starts with, uh, Describe a time when you knew you were empowered by the Holy Spirit. What was happening? How does the Holy Spirit exist and move within you? What has changed in you because of the Holy Spirit? Alright, so I think those are good questions because, um, you know, there's an old quote that says, like, if, the, if there was no Holy Spirit, would you, make a diff would, would you know a difference in your life? We sometimes train ourselves to... Uh, work in our own strength and about willpower overcome things and so sometimes we, we're not even sensitive to the Holy Spirit that's one bad thing about this branch of Protestantism that we're in we try our very best to uh, uh, explain away the Holy Spirit more than we embrace the ministry of the Holy Spirit so um, so there's been times uh, that I can directly I think I can when I'm behind the pulpit, um, I don't know, there's just a certain, I'll call it a feeling, but maybe the right term is more of a certitude, certitude, that I'm preaching to someone, like that, I don't know how to explain it, but when I'm proclaiming the word, I know the Holy Spirit is there, but there is a time or two when I know that I'm talking to someone particularly. Also, this happens in counseling, uh, the very few times pastoral counseling seems to help. Sometimes I think, okay, the, the Spirit was in this, changing someone's heart and mind. There's a sense of boldness that comes with it, maybe, as well. Um, that's the feeling. Maybe you're a, I see myself um, rising to an occasion that I normally would not. Uh, and then I think I, I see the Holy Spirit simply making me more sensitive to the ministries of the Holy Spirit over time instead of just a one-off like Paul in his Damascus Road experience, I think. Um, 
I think I can tell the Holy Spirit is changing my conscious or my ways of thinking or these kinds of things over time. Um, and then probably there's just been so many times the Lord has been gracious to this fool uh, and it's almost as if God has changed the circumstances, not necessarily working through me, but working through the circumstances around me. And I think scripturally speaking, uh, you find all those things in God's you know, purview, right? This is the way that God and the Holy Spirit work uh, in all of those ways. So I think that's how I would answer that question. I would encourage you to think about that question for yourself and then also encourage it in others because, you know, it's important. It's an important question. And so that leads us to the exploring the scripture setting or the historical setting. Um, so the prophets, at least, it seems that this scripture is trying in some way, shape, or form to connect um, Elijah with Moses, like the hiding in the cleft of the rock and God speaking and, and all that good stuff, or the cave or whatnot. So um, it, Elijah is the quintessential prophet, you know. You have Moses, every, everything people think about Moses, the amazing person that Moses was. Elijah, you're getting this same image that you're supposed to understand. And so I like the way Derek brings up the fact that the prophet oftentimes is the, um, you know, is the person who goes to God's people, calls for repentance and so on. Derek talks about, talks about revival. Um, <laughs> We, I'm here in Paducah, Kentucky, right? So um, churches like revivals. You know, it's a time that they call sinners to to Jesus. But I mean, like a revival in its very, very sense. Revival is giving life to that which already had life. A revival, at its core, is the waking up of the church. It's to call saints uh, back to life, right? Back to focus and so on and so forth. And um, I've always kind of got a kick when churches just are really excited for revival because really what that means is that they're dead and that a prophet or a preacher is coming to revive their souls because they're off track. And I'm sure, you know, two things can be true at once, but but a revival is for the saint, not the sinner. A prophet also is for the saint, really, and not the sinner, um, primarily. Uh, of course, the, through the working of the body of Christ, we call uh, sinners to sainthood. But, I mean, a prophet, first and foremost, speaks the words of God to the people of God. And so, um, I've had a couple conversations with people and wonder why there's still not prophets in the world. And I would say they're, a word, word of caution is that there very well might be prophets in the world. I mean, anybody who speaks forth the word of God is a prophet. Um, we read uh, the book of Jeremiah, Hosea, Isaiah. We read these books and we hold these prophets in esteem and we talk about how they speak truth to power. Yeah, but they were crazy in a lot of ways. And in our world today, I think the caution is, is that we sideline people who are too extreme but the prophets were nothing but extreme. And then I say this on both the conservative and the liberal sides, right? So in conservative sides, um, it's easy like the Pharisees. 
tried to shut down Jesus because the message was so godly. <laughs> they couldn't understand it. And then on the progressive side, uh, let's take like Ahab or Jezebel or any of the kings. They don't have to be that evil, but they would shut down the prophets because the prophets would say, look at the excess. Look how you sold out to the community or sold out to society. Stop. So what we do is on both sides, we shut down the prophet and we we say, you're too extreme either way. And it helps us to stay exactly how we are. But in scripture, a prophet was someone who was definitely fanatical and then, you know, fanatic in the sense that they took their call and God literal and they took their call and God and their religion serious. And that's all we mean by fanatic. Uh, but they were, they were scary. And so maybe there are prophets in the world, but because we like comfort, just like the people of Israel, we would much rather not listen to them. And so we assign them as crazy religious people or crazy snowflakes, depending on whatever side of the aisle that you're on. So anyway, think about people like Hosea. Like he literally took a prostitute for a wife to make a point. You think about people like Jeremiah. I mean, think about some of the things that he did under God's direction that were crazy, right? Or how Elijah would stand in front of the king and say, I'm going to make sure there's no rain for three years until I say so. I mean, these are extreme things. And, you know, the way they dressed or the way they spoke. And, and Isaiah certainly gave, you know, stress to, to everybody. But one of the things that characterize a prophet's life so here's another difference though a lot of the quote-unquote prophets that we see on tv today also have really nice suits on and they like you know private jets and other things like that and that's not the way it is if you look about the life of the saints i've already talked about hosea uh, he didn't have a great family life jeremiah you know some of the things like jeremiah and the linen undercloth the or just the way he was subjected to live, how Isaiah died, the persecution that they went through, the isolation and, and all that. Uh, prophets, not only through their words, but through their lives, spoke of something different, you know, some different way that God's called us to live. And so, uh, both in the Old and New Testament, if we think of the disciples as prophets, you know, they all, they all went, most of them uh, martyred. Uh, so there's a certain calling uh, in a prophet's life. There's a certain way of a prophet uh, that's different from us because we're scared. And then another thing that you see in a prophet is that there's a lot of trial or doubt. So, um, you know, Jeremiah says, you know, I'm done with this. I'm just not going to speak anymore. But then it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Or you get here with Elijah. He's to the point of thinking all is lost and hopeless. And God has to speak to Elijah. Right? That, no, Elijah, I'm in control of this. You just do what I say. We'll talk about that here for a second. But anyway, um, that's what we're talking about a little bit in this exploring the scripture setting. What a prophet is and... And all that good stuff. Um, wanted to uh, read or answer the question that says, as, as we live as children of light, we will come up against darkness, just like Elijah. 
There may have been a time when you have had to stand up against the darkness. Describe a time when you have had to call out something bad, what was happening in your community, or with someone you have a uh, personal relationship. What did it cost you? Was the situation changed? Um, so in church one time, I think this is important, like the the building and the group became more important than ministry. And I remember finally saying one time to someone, look, stop making me feel bad for doing good work. Right. So what I meant by that was is that there was a strain on the budget or could the building, you know, take this ministry? Could, would it get dirty? These kinds of things. And I thought, okay, this is this has gone too far. When someone is part of an organization, it's about redemption, service, and stuff like this, and you feel bad because you're doing the good work of God, something's evil. Got to change. Um. When I was not a pastor full-time, I worked in the restaurant, and I, and I remember one of the things a vice president at a food restaurant I was working at said something that was completely terrible about and implementing a new rule about um, with working conditions for, for hourly employees, store managers, these kinds of things, and, and I had to take a stand on that one. And then simply... Um, I do a lot of work, or have in the past, still, do a lot of work with people, and I just hate evil systems in the world, like, um, and I hate the fact that, um, in a pursuit to help people, our world has abandoned spirituality, not our world, our culture particularly has abandoned spirituality as, a, as an option of helping and so you're out of the front panning into the fryer, it feels like, and some of that. And that's deeply frustrating uh, that there's not good help around. And it contributes almost to the evil, um, even though it's seeking to be good. But this is my own personal experience. So, anywho. Um, Alright, so then that leads us to the digging deeper section. Um, so here we... We see this, you know, almost it looks like an intentional connection between Elijah and Moses. Moses representing the law, Elijah coming to represent, you know, the quintessential prophet. And so you, but you see this and that God and Moses, or Moses and Elijah are in this rock and God speaks to them, passes by them, if you will. Um, and then Derek brings up in the lesson that you have, you know, the wind, you have the earthquake, and you have the fire. And these images uh, probably inspire awe from Elijah, but it uh, doesn't get to exactly what Elijah needs, and that's a communication with God. And sometimes I think we're the same way. We're in awe, maybe, of all of God's work and creation, or in awe of God's Work, but we just really need that communication and that connection with God that sometimes we don't get and we're deeply missing. Um, so anyway, um, I guess maybe the caution here is that we look for the, the powerful when it comes to God. We, we like the highs and we, we like the wow God moments, but Oftentimes, even in Scripture, you know, the majority of the time it's God 
in the sheer silence or the still small voice, whatever you want to call it, which God works. It's the ordinary time uh, that that we're on that God God is on the move the most, and so we develop habits of not only awe but also of of training and meditation and and seeking God in the ordinary. There's enough books out there uh, that help us think about those things. Um, so, um, in page 59, uh, I wanted to read second full paragraph and then the scripture uh, reference from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Derek writes, Notice how Elijah responds to God and the angel who ministers to him. Elijah is a faithful prophet, and he is nearing the end of his rope. He asks that his life be taken from him, since it has become clear that God's people do not want to listen. Compare Elijah's experience to that of Isaiah, who lives after Elijah. Isaiah is called uh, to go to the people of God and speak God's word, but God knows how the people will respond. God tells Isaiah that he will speak, but the people will not listen. Isaiah 6, 8-10 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, or here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull, and stop their ears, and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and comprehend with their minds, and turn and be healed. So, that's a terribly tough passage, and it's one that uh, reminds me of... Um, the impossibility of our task sometimes. Here's how I think we bring this all together. Moses was called to obedience. He had all these excuses about how he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. But the Holy Spirit strengthened Moses to obedience. Elijah was sitting here and he had been obedient but not successful. Uh, let me say with Moses too, there was a constant cycle of disobedience from the people. He was constantly frustrated that the things that God did before the Israelites were rejected because the very next days or weeks that something amazing happened, the Israelites were disobedient. Elijah experienced much success in many ways. Then it comes down to the nitty-gritty. He thinks his ministry is useless. Jesus, uh, in the Garden of Eden, or not in the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane, gets to a point to where he realizes he's going to have to go to a cross, and so he says, nevertheless, you know, Lord, if this cup can pass before me, right? But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The point of a prophet is obedience more than success. And that's very hard and difficult for us in, in our Western world to apprehend. It's obedience, not success. Any of the apostles, one of the things that the Apostle Paul writes is that I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Um, or Jesus says that all things are possible for those who believe, right? And sometimes we use those as those superhuman Verses that we can do all things through him, like Superman. We can jump over buildings. We can run faster than a than a train. The speeding bullet, whatever it is. But what the Holy Spirit's 
main job is is to form us and shape us to obedience. When Paul says, I can do all things, it's in the context of ministry. If God has called us to do it, if we're Elijah sitting in a cave, wanting to die because everyone's disobedient, or if we're Isaiah and we're called to go and do ministry to a people who will not respond, um, the role of a prophet and the faithful Christian is obedience. And the Holy Spirit can certainly help us with obedience. The Holy Spirit can keep us going when we want to give up. And that happens a lot, I'm sure. Uh, it has for me in, you know, 18 years or so of ministry. Sometimes I do want to quit and did want to quit. And so anyway, but the point being is, is that the Holy Spirit uh, calls us to obedience, not success. And y'all have heard that sermon before. Uh, just real quickly... It says uh, the discussion question on page 59. Elijah retreated to a cave when he was threatened. What caves, quote-unquote, do you flee to when you're frustrated, confused, or afraid, or angry? And then how do you leave those caves? Um, after every Sunday, I like to come crawl into the house. and uh, no, Not every Sunday, but there are times of deep disappointment. and I need, I need some alone time, listen to some music, meditate on some things. Um, my wife is a ministry partner, you know, receive aid and comfort from my wife, but mostly it's probably just the, it's in the sheer silence that I, that I do well, or meditation. Um, and then, you know, unless I'm deeply hurt, I kind of set a time limit on it, and then I, and then I go on. But anyway, um, for instance, when you mess up and you send out the wrong leader's guide to everybody. You know, that's that's frustrating, and you got to go talk to Jesus about that. So, if you've gotten your leader's guide for winter, know that there's another one coming, and it will be replaced, and, and I messed up. And so, anyway. All right, that leads us to the learning from the Scripture. Uh, we won't uh, go long, too much longer, but... So, what Derek wants to talk about here is, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, or the prophet, or so on and so forth. We introduced that in the last section. In this section, uh, Derek brings out uh, how the book of Acts uh, shows the Holy Spirit being poured upon the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Both both cultures, both ethnicities, whatnot, receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is um, prophesied in Joel chapter 2. Um, in Joel chapter 2, you know, young or old, male or female, Jew or Gentile. Um, in the Cumberland Presbyterian world, you know, every denomination has their thoughts about baptism or, you know, their modes of baptism. And, and of course, one's right and one's not. But um, one of the reasons as to why we pour or sprinkle, mostly, most of the time I pour, but uh, because Cumberland Presbyterians and, and a lot of Reformed theologies, we see this as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so water on the head is, is the symbolism that we use as opposed to like a Baptist understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection. So, you know, we go under uh, as if we've died, and then up as if we're raised again in, a, in that uh, image of baptism. But in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church and many Reformed churches, it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, that, that we symbolize in baptism, which I think is very valid. And then uh, Derek quotes our Confession of Faith in, on page 60. That's 5.18. 
Baptism symbolizes the baptism of the Holy Spirit and is the external sign of the covenant which marks membership in the community of faith. In the sacrament, the church witnesses to God's initiative to claim persons in Christ, forgive their sins, grant them grace, shape and order their lives through the work of the Holy Spirit, and set them apart for service. So this is the thing about our baptism. Not only do we receive some uh, promise of God in baptism and uh, in, in God's faithfulness in baptism, we're also set apart for service. That means our baptismal callings, right? Um, we have baptismal identity that we seek out. In the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, we baptize babies. And then, then it's the church's um, responsibility to keep forth the Word of God with that child and to help raise that child to so that that child discovers their identity in God. And then also, they understand their baptismal calling. Technically, the church is a place in which we've been in baptism, set apart for service, that we develop all of the gifts uh, that the Spirit gives us. We practice within the church. We grow up exercising our spiritual muscles, finding out what we're really great at and what gifts God gives us, and also finding out what we're terrible at and, you know, the church helping us and overcoming these things and praying for us. But essentially in the church, we are... We are helping people explore their baptismal vocations and callings and identities. That's what we do. And so, um, once we do that, we all might not be prophets in a sense, but we all contribute to that calling of sinners to saints. Or we're all using our, our gifts in a way in which God is glorified in the world, which is the role of a prophet. And that's what we do. We speak forth the words of God and we bring forth glory for God. And, and, and these kinds of things. All right, I'll end with um, just answering some of the questions from the applying the scripture section. Elijah was very frustrated by how God's people responded to his call for repentance. Have you experienced this frustration when you see the lives of others? Look, I hate people not being happy or not feeling or being human flourishing is, is a term when I was working on some work. Um, I came across across a lot of Catholic stuff about human flourishing. And I think they've got they've got a thought there. I want to see people be the greatest image of God that they they can be without the frustrations of addictions and sins and low expectations. I mean, man, that just frustrates the snot out of me. Um, so I pray for that. Um, second, God is not only present in our lives, but God goes ahead of us to prepare the way. What things do you have coming up this week that could be opportunities for you to proclaim the gospel? How will you prepare yourselves for these encounters? Prayer. Like, I, I remembered, like, I'm a preacher, and I like to tell myself that I'm here to equip the people of God to go forth and, and do the work of God. But that went for about three or four years where I never evangelized anybody. And I thought, this is wrong. So... I pray about things, and, and I pray about... Oh, also, sometimes you got to evangelize your family. I have kids that, you know, just sometimes have no, no concern or care for spirituality. But, I mean, if anybody's in their life to bring forth the witness of God or the presence of God, witness to the presence of God, that's me. So I pray about things, and I want to be more intentional about um, connecting God's presence and God's working. If I see God work, I want to pass it on to somebody. So anyway, I pray about those things. Um, and then third, 
Jesus encountered diverse people who had been forgotten and left behind by the religious establishment. Who are some people in your community or church that have been forgotten or left behind? How can you reach out to them with compassion and grace? Um, I think one of the groups that uh, the church leaves out in, in my community is students, right? Community college, young folk. It's just sometimes they're either scared of them they think they're a lost cause or whatnot. So anyway, I, that's I teach a class at a community college up here, and and I enjoy um, praying for those youngins and being involved to the extent that you know they invite me. I don't get in anybody's life um, uninvited, but I mean I think I can be an instrument of grace and peace to them in that. All right, we've gone long. I've talked long enough. It's been a rough couple days for me, but we got this done. So as you prepare and preach today, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. And we'll see you next week.